and welcome to Just Dow It, the podcast for people starting DAOs. I'm Adam Miller, and I'm your host. I'm the CEO of MyDAO, which provides legal entity solutions for DAOs. And prior to starting MyDAO, I did consulting for people starting and operating DAOs. This is the first of two episodes this week, where uh, today we will cover the news with our featured guests. And then later in the week, we will dive into a deeper interview with Ben. So let's start by asking Ben, would you please introduce yourself and what makes you an authority on DAOs? Yeah, so uh, I am one of the co-founders of Origami, which is a DAO operating system and platform. Uh, my expertise is that I have actually launched um, two DAOs, including directly uh, myself, as well as um, we're actually helping uh, dozens of DAOs today at Origami to launch uh, as well. Nice, awesome. And what are those DAOs that you helped launch? Yeah, so um, I think what people need to understand is that DAOs actually have um, frameworks that they use. So one of the most um, well-known frameworks, um, because it's been really the default for the last several years, is a framework called Moloch, M-O-L-O-C-H. So famous uh, white paper around it and things like that. Um, they were really designed for a different type of organization. And the type of framework that Origami has created is much more scalable um, and it is really designed for what we call enterprise scale DAOs. So more than 100 members, fast growing DAOs, uh, and it's designed to be legally compliant. Nice, I like that, coming from a legal services business. Exactly, so you do it. <laughs> That's awesome. And do you wanna mention the DAOs that you've helped start as well? Yeah, so uh, the very first DAO that I helped start was an NFT uh, buying DAO called Crisis DAO. Uh, but the best known one uh, is called Orange DAO, which is uh, a collective of more than uh, 1,300 founders, uh, the vast majority backed by Y Combinator. Awesome. Very cool. All right. Well, we will dig into all of that a little bit deeper in the episode that comes out later in the week. For now, we'll turn to the Just DAO at News Report, where I will summarize this week's news about DAOs for the audience and for Ben. And I'll share my take and then ask Ben to share his take. So Ben, feel free to agree, disagree, um, throw up your arms in disbelief or uh, react however you want to these stories. The first story of the week is from Cointelegraph. And the headline is, CFTC action shows why crypto developers should get ready to leave the US. Decentralized autonomous organizations, DAOs, were supposed to be regulation proof. Federal regulators now have targeted not just a DAO, but also its investors. This is the fourth straight week or so that we've been talking about uh, Uki DAO and BZX and the case of the U.S. Commodities and Futures um, Trading Commission coming after the DAO, coming after their members, coming after their founders, suing everyone. Um, and I'm surprised that it's still in the news. But at the same time, I mean, it makes sense because liability is something that uh, really tugs at people's heartstrings because it's something they're afraid of. And for good reason, right? All of us want to make sure that the work that we're doing in crypto um, is done in such a way that minimizes our personal liability. And um, I think that's part of why the story is so popular. Honestly, this story, I think, is just over being overly dramatic and blowing things a little bit out of proportion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Ben, why don't you, do you want to share your reaction that's first kind of, and then that's I'll kind of a silly take. It's like, um, I'm going to leave the United States because I want to use my governance tokens, I think is, is basically the underlying thing. Um, and also we, we recognize that the CTFC ruling is, um, applicable to a very narrow slice of yeah. the crypto ecosystem, right? Which is yeah. things that fall under commodities and futures trading. Yeah. There are things that you can do today if you're launching, um, 
a futures trading platform uh, to build them offshore outside the jurisdiction of uh, the CTFC. And there are obviously lots of things that you need to do to comply with that ruling or comply with the rules today. Um, but it is leaving the United States for a lot of us is not really a solution. And also the United States is actually trying to actively promote innovation in crypto. And so, you know, this is where I think CFTC doesn't really understand what crypto is and they're just putting down the hammer, but I don't think it's going to stand up because one of the clear things that is happening is that any economic activity that you do in most modern economies, every single modern economy, every single economy out there, the government offers you a way to shield your liability using corporate entities, whether it's companies or corporations or nonprofits or what have you. So these tools and these uh, legal concepts exist. For a reason. For a good reason. Like we've, it's yeah. existed since, you know, hundreds of years ago. So this is nothing new under the sun. Um, the fact that BZX was created onshore creates some legal liability for BZX. Yeah. The other other thing that I've talked about the last couple of weeks, too, is even the CFTC has come out and said this was an especially egregious case where the organization, A, was clearly not decentralized. I think that was their words, right? The founders were clearly driving things. And the product that they were offering was clearly a security. It was clearly futures and harmed people. So the, the crypto developers, quote unquote, who should be most concerned are ones who are building financial products. Like if you're building something that is clearly a futures contract or some kind of security, you should, you should go to great lengths to make sure you're following all the relevant rules, using legal entities, maybe building your business offshore. Um, but for the majority of crypto developers, they're working on projects that have nothing to do with building a security. Exactly. Right? exactly. And that, that, and that so, does not fall under the jurisdiction of the CTFC. Yeah, and so this right. ruling is kind of moot for those people. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's that's most people. Um, and plus, the other thing is that we don't see someone getting sued. Like, people get sued all the time. And when people yeah, get th- sued, we don't say, oh, well, people are, someone got sued for this. I better leave the country. You say... <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds worse than sticking around being, hey, actually, I'm innocent. and Or you're, you're overstepping your bounds. Um, good, good, right. Good point. People are going to fight back and people are fighting back yes. against regulators. Even too. the CFTC is clearly fighting back against their own decision by saying, hey, this is egregious. <laughs> um, but then, yeah. you know, if, if, they're, if the CTFC is saying, you know, it's really uh, truly uh, centralized and then why are they going after token holders? Yeah, they're well, not, that's like, a good again, point. <laughs> they're not actually, I feel like this is like press release uh, defense, not an actual response to what they were doing. Yeah, it's a good point. Right. They're trying to have it both ways. They're saying yes. on one hand, we're going to come after the whole DAO. But on the other hand, this was especially centralized. So it does seem <laughs> Except like Except we're going to go after the people who had nothing yeah. to do with the actual centralization. At this rate, we may be seeing this news story uh, continue to be discussed over the next uh, few weeks. We'll see. But in the meantime, um, I will move to the second story of the day, which is from Forbes. And the headline is, DAO that helps women achieve financial freedom accused of grifting. Blue3DAO, or well, it's spelled B-L-U-3, it said BlueDAO, whose mission is to empower women and help them achieve financial freedom is being accused of financial mismanagement. Uh, this came from a tweet from Kemi uh, GM, 
uh, her handle is Kemi in this thing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's crypto for you. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, Kemi in this thing says, most of the members of Blue Dow are great people working towards a good cause. Despite this, there have been things around their finances I have personally found questionable. I've refrained from calling them out and it's something that has bothered me for a long time. But then the tweet goes on to uh, talk about some of the financial mismanagement issues. And um, this is another situation where I I already kind of feel for Blue Dow. I don't have all the details, right? I didn't even Mm -hmm. read the whole tweet thread. I'm sure. (laughs) Yes, right. It's a lot lot of DAOs are dealing with this kind of thing, right? Because DAOs are new. And we're, we're still figuring out how to run organizations in a much more decentralized way. And oftentimes that means there's these like co- complex social structures, political environments. There is this desire to be open, but also a desire to make sure the DAO is only doing the right things. And, and ha- I mean, how can you have both of those things together, right? If you want to be entirely open, then if someone goes and does something crazy with the money, it's like, well, we said we were going to be totally open. Maybe they were doing what they thought was right versus, you know, a traditional company would say, well, we're going to make sure that money only gets spent when it's like, completely in line with our policies. Um, so it, I, I just I, I feel for them because like this is a challenging situation for any DAO, but but it'll be interesting to hear as the details come out. What, what do you think, Ben? Yeah. So this is where um, if you're running a business, any kind of prior business experience is really helpful in understanding the line between personal uh, uh, resources or personal compensation versus corporate compensation. Um, and so any um, experienced business person will go, okay, there's a really um, clear line between those two sides. And so there are things that are legitimate business expenses and there are ways of getting funding or financing from uh, uh, the company that you've created as if it was a third party. And so you have to like treat this as a thing that is not a thing that you own. You may have if it's a startup, you may own equity in it, but that doesn't make it your company that you can do whatever you want with, right? And I think a lot of DAOs, like many things in crypto, draw new founders or new creators who have don't really have this experience. And so they kind of lean on their personal prior business and these DAOs and corporations should never work like that, right? You have to do things in the open, like create a proposal, make sure the budget is correct, that the transparency is there, um, and that is communicated to all DAO members. And so I generally like to structure DAOs with, um, initially at least, experienced people uh, in important positions uh, in the core dev team or core team so that they can instill these kind of values and processes. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking about even some of the DAOs that I'm part of. Another thing I want to bring up is that a lot of people in the DAO space are finding it hard to get compensated for their time, right? It's the, it, there's not all the DAOs are necessarily well-funded. Even the ones that are, it, it's hard to make sure that people get compensated consistently and fairly in U.S. dollars um, for the work that they did because a lot of things have to go through proposals in most DAOs and you're kind of subject to the whims of the community and voting um, and, and maybe for other reasons too. But I do think that puts people in a position where they really want their they want their DAO to succeed. They want to be able to work full time on the DAO. So they're going to look for a way that they can actually make money off of it. And you've kind of put someone in that position where they've got to th- at least think creatively about how do I get paid? And, and when you start doing that, you know. So it seems to me like there's actually a clear, um, um, there was funding involved here. So this wasn't like, hey, we don't have any money. Let's go figure out how to raise mm-hmm. some. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like 
they were working and now that funding was available, they wanted to be retroactively compensated for the fact that they've helped start the DAO. And, yeah. and you, you, that's really difficult to do, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. um, the above board transaction would have been, hey, I'm going to start this and I'm going to expect a salary of X. And before I get paid, like maybe this is a, uh, a thing that the DAO can actually provide once we get funding above a certain amount of dollars. Now, that's difficult because no one wants to pay for past debts. Like investors don't want to do it. Like they want their investment to go towards future activity, not past. And so um, those agreements, even if they're done in the open, may still uh, make it challenging for them to raise money from professional investors. But at least that's in the open, right? It's like, hey, I'm, I expect you know to be paid 100K to work full time on this for a year. It's okay if you don't have the cash now, but I'm expecting compensation when we do have funding. And yeah. let's put parameters around that so that it's very clear. It's almost like a smart contract. Yeah, yeah. And, and transparency, which is another thing you get with yes. smart t- contracts, I think is, is part of what's so important about that is even if you just say, I will be paid the first $100,000 that yep. this DAO makes, and that's in the charter, or it's, yep. it's in the, as long as you put it somewhere that people can reasonably be expected to have seen it, then people know and they can join the DAO or not join the DAO knowing that you're going to get paid, which not necessarily not necessarily anything wrong with that. Yeah, um, absolutely. But, There's nothing wrong with getting paid for the work that you're doing. It needs to be just done in a very clear above board manner and it needs yeah. to be uh, available to everybody else for some level of scrutiny. Yep, yep, totally. All right, next story is from Coindesk and the headline is Inside a Social DAO, How an Online Community Becomes a Digital City. As Friends with Benefits DAO continues to scale, how will it incorporate decentralized governance principles and processes into its next phase of growth? The the author goes on to say, if I was going to be part of any DAO, I would want it to be Friends with Benefits. Uh, Friends with Benefits, I think, is now normally uh, referred to as FWB or FWB DAO. And uh, what I want to call to light about this story is this? there's this thing that DAOs do that companies never really did before, which is they kind of invert the way they start the project. Rather than starting with, here's some cool stuff we're going to do, now let's go find people to do it. Friends with Benefit and a lot of other DAOs started with community. They started with, okay, who are all the friends, right? Who has the NFT that gets you into this, this group? Now that we have everyone here, let's talk about what we want to do together. Yeah. And I think that's it's it's going to be really interesting to see what comes out of those types of uh, those types of projects because I think it's novel. I, um, I actually think that it is such a great way for new products and new projects to launch um, by proving that there's demand and support from the public, right, uh, and giving them some upside or some decision making power in that process. And so, if I'm launching a new consumer brand today, there there's no way I'm going to do it without a DAO. Right, it's like the way Kickstarter, um, you know, helped a lot of projects with their uh, initial funding by proving that there's demand uh, for the product, uh, and Kickstarter's moved on to like a pre-sale platform. Right, it's no longer a um, like a product development platform because the long wait and the uncertainty of releasing a product has made people sour on a lot of the uh, Kickstarter projects. But what now DAOs are actually filling that gap. So if I'm going to go out and actually build a brand um, and the DAO allows me to support that project without being a direct customer, right? Because it's a higher risk proposition, but now receiving tokens and having some control and say in it um, allows me to actually have uh, confidence that like it'll respect the wishes of the community. Yep. 
Yep, it's true. Um, and I, I wonder, you know, the other, so a lot of people call friends with benefits, FWB and other DAOs like this, social DAOs. Um, they're kind of like social clubs that some of which go on to actually build products, but not all. I wonder if there was a whole economy of social clubs that maybe I was never really into that actually has been around for a long time, like groups of people that pay. I mean, actually, there's a place in town. I think it's called Elks Lodge. Someone I always thought it was like for veterans or something. Yeah. Someone recently told me it's just a membership only uh -huh. like hangout space and restaurant and bar. Um, and I wonder, do those ever turn into like a software project or something? Or I mean, or if you can just... imagine... Let's call a, a local cigar club. I don't smoke cigars, but I'm going to pretend that that I'm a cigar aficionado here for for the sake of the internet. Um, if I'm going to launch a membership based organization and I'm buying into this membership, I kind of want that to be transferable, uh, you know, and liquid, right? So it's possible that like you know you want to combine both that like you can't just like sell the membership to anyone you want. Uh, the membership has to be like voted on by the members or something like that. But that's a perfect use case of what a DAO can do. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and it's a great use case for a token that exactly. is not necessarily like a major financial. It's not a new type of money. Yeah, it's just that you need a way just to a represent membership. your membership in the club. That's right. Yeah, you have um, some partial governance stake in any membership organization. Uh, it's one thing to say like we can take a vote, you know, uh, off chain, but as more and more people adopt and understand um, crypto and blockchain. I think they'll see the benefit of actually having on-chain records uh, of proper good governance. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a good example of why we need a new regulatory framework um, for these tokens that in some ways are similar to securities, but should not be regulated the same way other securities are, right? Because again, think about the Elks Club down the road. If instead of people just paying, I don't know, $2,000 a year or whatever to be members, you bought a membership for $10,000, and that, or however much the market rate is today, but then in 15 years, when you have helped make the Elks Lodge 10 times cooler and more popular than it ever was before by contributing to the community, now maybe that uh, membership in the Elks Lodge is worth $100,000. Why shouldn't you be able to sell your membership token for $100,000 and make that profit? But you know, out of the gate, if the SEC, and they're not, but if they came no. in and started saying, yeah. hey, every situation totally like different. this. Yes. Yeah, and right, that's, that's a com complete overreach. Right. Yeah. Like, it, right. It would be. I mean, especially because it's a purely social activity. If I, mean, I, I bought, guess that's... if I bought a, a a cigar, a box of cigars, a rare box of cigars, and I represented that ownership uh, as an NFT uh, on the on the chain, and then I went to go resell it, mm. right? That is not a security, mm. and a membership is like that, mm. right? Good point. Like, a, yeah. it's not a physical asset. It's not as easy to grok as like a, a box of cigars. But this is a case of where. Uh, the software makes all the difference and we're going to find out very quickly just where the limits of um, preventing people from making money from their assets are. Yeah. Good point. Good point. And yeah. And, and even I guess physical assets and digital assets, right? I mean, even yeah. you know, people who spend years playing a game, creating and earning something that's really valuable at some point, Will people um, revolt at the idea that the game developer can tell you you're not allowed to sell that thing? Yeah, um, I, I, it is. It is crazy to me just how the idea of profit is so powerful that the regulatory framework mm. is really trying to kill it for a mm. lot of people. Yeah. Unless you're an accredited investor, unless you're already rich, we're not going to trust you to actually try to make money. Now, I'm just, 
there's a great reason why the SEC exists, which is to prevent the uh, uh, some people from taking advantage of the public and the lack of time and information asymmetry that we have. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's like, why do I have to be rich to make more money? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I want to give the regulators a little bit of credit because so far they're not coming after everyone, right? They're not coming after, they've gone after no DAOs to my knowledge, except for the original DAO in 2016, just for having a governance token that's risen in value, right? I don't think they've gone after any. And and whenever, even when the SEC goes after people, they're saying, look, this was a case where there was information asymmetry, right? There was clearly a centralized group that took advantage of other people, basically defrauded them out of their money. And so we're going after them, yeah. right? And, and I think it's great for, for the regulator to do that. I think still to your point, unfortunately, we lack clarity. And in some cases, I think if you, you, you could easily argue why the current regulation would apply to governance tokens. And so it'd be nice if they would change the regulation or come up with a new regulation, or at least just even tell us Give what us they clarity. plan on doing. Yeah. But, but so far, it hasn't been too bad. Um, so I, I hope it stays that way. Um, and to your point, I, I think the U.S. government has always generally been pro-profit, right? Although to your point, who are who are the people that are really letting profit? Maybe that's the issue. <laughs> yeah, and and I, I would also um, take another stance on this, which is the problem facing DAOs is not the government. It is not the regulation of tokens. We we have, like you said, we have some history of knowing what the SEC cares about, and they don't. I wish it was clearer, but if you are not trying to defraud the public, if you're not doing a pump and dump and you want to build a really valuable organization, that is the much harder problem. That is where I wish we would spend much more of our time instead of trying to figure out where the landmines are that we can't see, right? Mm, so point. I, I want to go build a DAO. Well, then what does it do? How do you build a community? What is the revenue model that's going to make the treasury valuable? Then we can figure out the rest. Like we can de-risk, yeah. nothing zero risk. We can de-risk some of the other approaches. But the focus of an entrepreneur or founding group of a DAO should really be about how do you make this DAO valuable? Yeah, build value, right? Yes, and then absolutely. manage risk down the road. That's right. Rather than just worrying about risk today. Yeah. Yeah. If you Good worry point. about risk, you know, in the founding stages, um, it's probably the right amount of attention. But the point of it is to launch, not to avoid yeah. risk. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, all right. Well, speaking of moving on from securities issues, let's move on to the next story. Um, the next story is from Quorum Media, which was just launched today. Um, Quorum is becoming a meta label is the headline. Uh, Quorum is going multiplayer. So what am I talking about here? Um, you guys may remember Samantha Marin from a previous episode. She had a great uh, product called the uh, Quorum Newsletter, where she published awesome research, awesome opinions, just great content about DAOs. She is now joining forces with uh, the Brandon Nolte, the creator of the Bounty Hunter podcast, to create a new, what, they're, what she's calling a meta label called Quorum. And what she's describing a meta label as is the following. A release club where groups of people who share the same interest drop and support work together. It's a lightweight structure that creates economic, emotional, and creative alignment between collaborators. A meta label is creativity in multiplayer mode. Groups of people pooling skills, audiences, and resources in support of a larger creative vision or purpose. So actually, I see now she was quoting something called uh, metalabel.xyz. So I guess it was metalabel wasn't her idea. But what's happening mm -hmm. here uh, actually reminds me of Bankless, right? The big media DAO that uh, people know about all yep. over the world um, that built a brand. And now under the guise of the Bankless DAO, 
really, truly anyone can go in there, become a contributor, uh, you know, get through onboarding and then say, I'm starting this new bankless project that does the following. And you can yeah. go do that. And everyone gets to leverage the bankless um, brand, uh, teams that are working on bankless, all the, you know, the community and the leverage you can get um, that way. So uh, I'm excited to see what Samantha and Brendan uh, do with their new meta label. And I would encourage others to check it out as well. There, there are a few like industries or sectors where starting with a fan club uh, makes a lot of sense, right? And obviously, mm. uh, uh, entertainment and labels are are exactly that. But it's all going to come down to the actual execution of that creative content, right? Uh, yeah. And so the yeah. challenge, I think, with a lot of creative uh, endeavors that is a very hit-driven business uh, subject to the power law. Mm. Mm. And it's really hard to find that hit, even with fan support. Like, it really depends on the creativity of mm. the artist. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Um, and, and I mean, the other thing I'm thinking about is like Samantha knows Brendan and knows that he has a great podcast. Brendan knows Samantha and knows that she's an amazing writer. So like, of course it makes sense for the two of them to come together to make both the podcast and the writing better. But how do you go from there and go from two people to, I guess, an open DAO like, um, uh, organization yeah. where you can keep bringing more people on? Um, yeah. Because I guess aside from following the power law, I think great content just requires great talent. Um, yeah. And I think people, it's not that you can't learn it, but you kind of either have it or you don't in any given moment. And you'll have to make sure that all the new talent shares that skill. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's a, you have to rely on the original members to go figure out how to recruit more talent into this collective. Totally. Yeah. I wonder about the economics of that. It's like, why would I join you? Right. If yeah. I can actually, if I'm talented yeah. enough to build my own brand, you know, I applaud them for uh, trying this, right? This is, yeah, well, this and, is exactly imagine, the type of risk that people want to take. Yeah, totally. And and like Bankless, I mean, I guess the value in, in the old, I guess, Web2 or TradFi version of this story, right? Two people with their own brand got together and formed a new brand. And if anyone else wants to join, those two people definitely will have to approve it. You know, I think what's cool is they're trying to create an open system, right? Again, kind of yeah. like Bankless, where rather than just necessarily being admitted or not, it's more like, here's a structure. Anyone's welcome to come, you know, play within the structure and see how it goes. Yeah, I think a lot of the DAOs that are looking for these communities to find a pool of talent, um, it's about experimenting with that pipeline to see what resonates. Yep, yep. Moving on to the next story is from Cointelegraph Research. So this is research.cointelegraph.com. And that Cointelegraph Research has come out with a 50-page PDF called DAO, The Evolution of Organization. Um, what's cool about this report is it introduces this framework of, or mental model of thinking about how, where DAOs have been and where they're going. It talks about DAO 1.0, DAO 2.0, and where we're going now is DAO 3.0. Um, and actually a big part of the model that they introduced relevant to Origami and Ben, um, which is DAO 3.0 is the world where there are actually compelling uh, you know, working tools and infrastructure to build DAOs on. So now we can really think about what do we want to do with these DAOs? Let's go make it happen. Whereas like DAO 1.0 was, this is pretty much just a dream or a vision. There was no underlying technology. I think DAO 2.0 was like, okay, we have some smart contracts like Moloch you mentioned earlier. Um, but now thanks to Origami and others, we're, we're moving into DAO 3.0. So what do you think that's a good mental model, Ben? Or To me, DAO 3.0 is really about the extension of the concept of DAOs 
um, to more and more uh, networks and organizations. And the thing that I want to keep pointing out to people starting DAOs is that a DAO is not a replacement for anything that exists today, right? And so it is not a replacement for a C-Corp. It has to find its unique value to the world for it to become adopted and for it to actually then become adopted enough to go replace um, existing power structures. And so when you create a DAO, if a corporation or a startup can do a better job than a DAO, then you should absolutely use the corporation or the startup uh, format to go do that work. Um, a DAO has to find that power in the community and the network. It is about um, crowdsourcing. It is about uh, a mandate that is broader than just the founding team or the executives, right? You can have a mandate from our community and organization. It's about distribution of content or product or ideas uh, and also getting quick validation and feedback, right? These are things that's actually really hard to achieve in a traditional corporate or startup format. Yeah, so you're, so it's interesting. You're kind of saying, let's look for the new projects that a DAO makes sense for. Whereas yes. uh, actually one of the things this article even says, I mean, the, part of their summary is DAOs can be a more efficient form of organization. It almost sounds like they're saying for any project you would have done the old way, now do it the new way instead, and it could be more efficient. And maybe at the end of the day, it's kind of a combination of both. I mean, I, I'd imagine there are some uh, some projects where without the invention of DAOs, people would have started a traditional C-Corp, but now that DAOs are around, they'll do it through a DAO, right? But then yeah, there I, is this whole new set of use cases where it's like, this is what DAOs make possible that was never possible before. And to me, that's the interesting part. It's what is possible today in DAOs that wasn't possible before. Um, that's where I think DAOs have sustaining long-term value. Uh, whereas if you're going up against a C-Corp, uh, you are going up against hundreds of years of um, legal precedent, how we understand conceptually in society, how they work. Uh, most people understand equity structures and things like that, whereas they don't necessarily know the nuanced difference in a tokenized structure. And so corporations have this built-in advantage of just being around for hundreds of years and being just part of society. A DAO to overcome or be more efficient than a corporation, it has to have a unique angle. Right? And this is where the community empowerment and decision-making part really comes in. Um, also, at the same time, we have the hurdle of having to teach people how to operate a DAO, how to run a DAO, or how to be a member of a DAO in a way that's constructive for everybody. Yep, yep, good point. All right, uh, next story is from Twitter, and the tweet is from Sporos DAO. Uh, the tweet is, we just published our latest piece on allocating sweat equity in Sporos DAO. It's a link to a Medium article about sweat equity in DAOs. And what Sporos is building, it sounds very cool. It's uh, built on top of the Kali DAO platform. Um, I, I wonder if you can use it elsewhere, is a system where it makes it really easy to give out what they call sweat equity tokens. And then for those tokens later to be converted into some other kind of value. So it kind of reminds me of what uh, Coordinate uh, did with uh, like crowdsourcing uh, compensation, where you give everyone 100 give tokens, and then they decide where they want to give their give tokens to. So I could say, well, Ben, I think you did like the best job of anyone here. I'm giving you 80 tokens, and then I'm going to give Allison 20 tokens because she did a great job too. And I don't really think anyone else deserves compensation. So everyone gets to give their give tokens however they want. And then at the end, you say, okay, well, we're actually going to give either $10,000 or 
100,000 bank tokens or whatever it is proportionally to how those give tokens were handed out. That's my feeling is that's kind of similar to what Sporos is doing here is they're saying, let's just make it easy for people to give out a token that does they don't have to have their own token yet. They don't need to have figured out all their tokenomics, but we, we want something to keep track of how much sweat equity is going into this project. Um, so that, yeah. that does sound pretty cool to me. Yeah, I think um, this is the kind of interesting stuff that um, the blockchain will enable um, because as as it becomes easier uh, to distribute tokens to create them in a way that's pretty uh, that's safe and reliable, we can find ways to use tokens as a placeholder ex for exchange of future value. Right, that's exactly what a token does. It is, represents a value that exists somewhere else in most cases. It'll be interesting to see if the tools of today and the culture of DAOs makes this an efficient translation or whether this is really going to be um, more overhead. And so DAOs suffer from this unique problem compared to a, a, a company with full-time employees in that any little bit of overhead is amplified the fact that we're not spending all of our waking hours thinking about and working on the DAO, right? Because if you have 10 hours to spend in a week part-time contributing to a DAO, a two-hour block of communications is going to eat into a ton of the opportunity cost of working on that now, right? And so there is this trade-off between, hey, we can keep tokenizing more of our work in exchange for something in the future. But if that tokenization is going to lead to more overhead, it is no better than just a single token that you will get at some point. Yeah, well, I, I really resonate just thinking just broadly about the fact that there's this one DAO that I love contributing to, but my three hours of meetings with them a week accounts for pretty much 100% of, of what I can put in. Um, so I don't know if there's a good solution for that. I almost feel like we're going to have people that just go to the meetings and then yeah. we're going to have people who do most of the work. I'm, and... I'm actually I'm actually looking forward to um, full-time DAO members who are actually working on the DAO or at least uh, some entity that is, you know, owned by the DAO that is doing contract work, right? You're seeing like the professionalization of DAO operations because it's actually no, it, it's not trivial to run a treasury, right? To chase yeah. down everybody in a multi-sig. Yeah, yeah. Right. Which it, does and, exist, but it's 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 rare today, right? I mean, most DAOs that I see do not have full-time contributors. Maybe a founder that's putting in the sweat equity because they, they believe in the future value. But for the most part, it's part-time contributors. Yeah, um, and, so and I, I think I this is where you can use the membership model to actually um, uh, create opportunities for people to become full-time, right? Uh, yeah. And actually give them the opportunity to actually build processes that makes life make they, that make life easier for everybody involved yep awesome well that does it for the just out news report uh thank you ben for being a part of that uh, again uh, please tune in later in the week where you'll get to hear the interview i do with ben about his experience with DAOs, common challenges faced advice for people starting DAOs today um, in the meantime though ben uh, where can people find you on the web and on social yeah, so on, on the web, join origami, O-R-I-G-A-M-I.com. Um, that's our site. And if you're interested in launching a DAO, uh, please contact us. And we would love to take a look and see if we can be helpful um, because we're looking for the most ambitious builders in the world uh, and to create most value in uh, the networks of tomorrow. Awesome. Thank you, Ben. And you can find me on Twitter at 0xThriller. You can find MyDAO at MyDAODS on Twitter. That's M-I-D-A-O-D-S or MyDAO.org. And are you thinking about starting a DAO? Just DAO it. Just DAO it is for educational and entertainment purposes only. 
Just Dow It does not contain any legal or financial advice. My Dow also does not provide legal or financial advice, and nor does your host, yours truly.